Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. With the family of faith. What a beautiful day it is. I can think of nothing better than to be in the house of God. Can you? Amen. A lot of places we can be, but I don't think there's any place like church. Amen. Where we can come in and worship the Lord and get our mind wrapped around the things of God. We've heard lots of things all week that are just nothing but a distraction. But today, how many know it's awesome to come and hear a word from God that you can leave today and put your hands on the things of God, the purposes of God. Do you know that in the word of the Lord is the power of the Holy Spirit? That if we ever touch in, lay into the things that God is saying, that if we go out and do the things that God is saying to do, that you're going to meet him there in his power and his ability. And guess what? God will be glorified. And that's what we should be doing. We should be the mirrors of that glory. And so I look around and I see a lot of mirrors out there, images, amen, that we're trying to project in a world that so desperately needs to see the Lord, amen. What an awesome day it is as we're getting into this series, a little deeper into the series uh, called The Main Event. And how many know we've had an awesome time last couple of Sundays? We've, we've visited the creation of men in the image of God. We, last Sunday, we stopped by and saw the flood. And today we're going to be at the Tower of Babel. I'm going to show you how important words are. And so we're there in Genesis chapter 11. If you don't mind, we're going to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to read a few verses here out of Genesis chapter 11. We'll start there at verse 1. We'll take it all the way through verse 9. And we're going to read a few passages here that I believe are going to bless your life. Amen. And so again, we are in an awesome series called The Main Event. Next, next Sunday, we're going to stop by and visit the father of faith, your father of faith. We call him Abraham. And we're going to stop and investigate the covenant. And so next Sunday, we're going to see something about the covenant that you have probably not thought of in quite some time. And I'm going to show you just how powerful that covenant is because that covenant is moving in us today. So if you have your Bible, I am again in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to get my Bible over there in this message today entitled The Tower of Babel. And we'll read here verses 1 through 9, and I believe that'll give us enough summation of the word of the Lord that we can take in what God wants to give us today. Again, Genesis chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, I am reading from the King James Version of my Bible, and it begins like this. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, or another King James way of saying, come, come let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make, and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Verse 5, the cameo appearance of the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, come, let us go down. And there confound their language. 
that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore it is called, therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for the time that we have as a family of faith to come together under your word. Father, we know that in the house of the Lord there is collective ability, collective faith, collective strength. And we know that, Father, when we come together, Jesus has promised to be in the very midst of us. I know today that we need his help now more than ever. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we come together, as we purpose together, as we hear together, as we desire to do together. Holy Spirit, I pray you manifest yourself, your word, your purposes in this house that produces, Father, a strength, not 30, not 60, but a hundredfold back into the kingdom of God. And I pray that, Jesus, as you've said, wherever two or three come together, agreeing by touching any one thing, that whatever we ask shall be given to us of the Father in heaven. And we pray 100-fold return on the word that goes forward today. Holy Spirit, minister to, minister to us. Make us, prepare us, produce in us that which God is purposing to do in us. And so we pray that today and purpose in that today. And we pray that together as a family of faith. And all of us said, amen and amen. Listen, before you see it, why don't you take a moment to go greet somebody. When you grab somebody today, this is what I want you to tell them. Grab somebody, I want you to look them in the eye, and I want you to tell them this. God has a word for you this morning. Go grab somebody and say, God has a word for you this morning. Amen. God has a word for you this morning. a word for you this morning. God has a word for you this morning. We are at the Tower of Babel. Trust me, God has a word for you. How beautiful it is to see the saints of God, guests and friends, amen. So nice to see so many people. Priscilla, it's good to see you, Miha. How awesome it is to be around the family of faith, amen. Blessings to everybody, amen. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Welcome to the purposes of God. Welcome to the strength of the Lord. No matter what you've come in to the church with this morning, the pastor of these doors, God has every ability to set you free. My father is awesome. <laughs> my God is able. Well, you look at your neighbor and say, my God is able. <laughs> Just set the atmosphere for a minute. My God is able. It would be my opinion 
that a church like ours that's called to fasting and prayer would have a heart for the things of God. Is not this the purpose of fasting and praying? To go before the Lord, not to be heard, but to hear from God. What a wonderful inversion that is. That now we as a church are coming before the Lord not to be heard of God, but rather to hear his voice. It's awesome that we're in that place where our heart, our mind, the thinking of the church is, I want the heart of God. I want the mind of God. Better still, I want the will of God. You have to realize that that the will of God, the heart, the mind of God is a disposition. Most people will work their lifetime trying to find the disposition to be after God. Most people don't carry that. Uh, And part of the reason is is that we don't apply our mind into the meditation of what it takes to be a man or a woman after the heart of God. Uh, There is a man in the Bible, you know him as as King David, the shepherd king, uh, King David, who God of himself says of him that he is a man after my own heart. We find allusions and, and, and meditations of David, intimacies of David, that he lives for us for posterity's sake. So that if you ever want to go find the heart of God, if you're here and if you're interested in the will of God, if there's anybody here that says, you know what, preacher, I want a little bit of the mind of God. David leaves behind like spiritual breadcrumbs that we might find our way back to God. Uh, he does it in two chapters, two of the, uh, what I would say are two of the greatest chapters of the Old Testament that contain the mind of God, the heart of God. Uh, they are in the book of Psalms, two Psalms that are the most popular of the Psalms, one being Psalms 23 and Psalms 91. I don't know if you know those Psalms. I pray you do. Most of us know Psalms 23. We, we have it by memory. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means you're being guided. And because God is guiding, you don't have any need. He says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That means we know where the shepherd's going and it's a good place. (laughs) Touch your neighbor and say, it's a good place, baby. Don't know to be tripping. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He brings evidence to the passions in me and the faith in me. The Bible says he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Watch David. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. How many can remember the story called Goliath in the valley of Elah? Where David told Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. (laughs) Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. (laughs) Surely... Somebody say surely. Surely goodness 
and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is the spiritual resume in poetic form how David qualifies his relationship with God. Does it ring true in your life? Notice that David, in the preceding chapter, chapter 27, verse 4, David says this, This one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, David wanted to be with God. It's the central theme of the life of David. David wants to be with the Lord. He wants fellowship with God. He wants communion with God. He wants to be close to God. I wish I had somebody right there say, you know what, preacher, I want to be close to God. I want to be next to God. I want to be right there with him. David, under that unction, as David matures through the Psalms, delivers to the church the wonderful intimacies, the strengths of this idea, this thought of dwelling with God. Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, he is my fortress. He's my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Listen to David. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Do you know what that means? Uh, he'll deliver you from the slipknot of the bird catcher. You know, David talks about, I mean, uh, Paul talks about this when he says, Wherefore, seeing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast aside every weight that hinders and every sin which does so easily beset us. You know, when the devil's trying to keep you grounded, <laughs> when you want to fly with God, he'll deliver you from the fear of the sneller. Listen, and from the noisome pestilence. How many know we live in dangerous times? We see it with our eyes and we're hearing the noise. He'll deliver you from all the rhetoric and all the stuff going on around you. He'll cover you with his feathers. And beneath his wings shall I trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. You know when you fight from a distance and, and that buckler, when you have to fight up close, your God will be with you. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh unto thee. Only with thy eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord my God, even the most high, thy habitation. Will you touch your neighbor and say, God will defend you, baby. <laughs> get close to God and he'll cover you. Will you get up right now? Go find somebody and say, God is going to cover you. Get up right now out of your seat. Go find somebody and tell him right now. Say, listen, if you get close to God, God will cover you. Uh, some of y'all need covering. Get up right now and tell somebody, God will cover you, baby. God's all over you. God is all over you. 
God is all over you. My God will cover you. Get close and watch him take care of you. Some of y'all need taken care of. My God will take care of you, baby. He, he's got you. Get close to God and he's going to cover you, baby. He's going to put you underneath his wing. He's going to cover you with his feathers. David said, there's no evil befall you. There's no plague going to come nigh thy, hab thy habitation, thy dwelling. Listen, did you hear that? He says, he'll give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And those same angels, he says, will guard you, will pick you up with their hands, lest I dash thy foot against the stone. This is God. He's talking about supernatural intervention. He's talking about the workings of God. Lest I dash thy foot against a stone. Isn't that amazing? The intimacies of being close to God. What does David say? What does he say about us having the ability, the authority over the lion and the adder, the viper. He said, over the young lion and the dragon shall thy trample under feet. Th th this, is, this is amazing stuff. Brother and sister, David is giving you intimacies about God. Both in authority and supernatural intervention and, and divine covering. Supernatural covering. And what does he say? What does he say about the Lord? Open your Bible, Psalms 91. I want you to read this for yourself. There is a ministration. That we're going to tread over the, over the lion and the adder. That over the young lion and the dragon shall we trample under feet? Psalms 91. I draw your attention to these last verses. I could quote the whole psalm. It's in my spirit. It's in my mind. It's in my prayer closet. It's my deliberation. And what does it say? Because he, verse 14, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. And I will set him on high. Why? Because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me. And I will answer him. For I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with the long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Listen, this is what happens when we get close to God. This is what happens when we relinquish our will back to God. This is what happens when the soul meditation of the mind is simply God. This is what happens when we focus. This is what happens when we cause the separation to happen. And I believe there's a lot of people in this church that need to create a separation between themselves for God and themselves in the world. I'm here to tell you, friends, brothers, sisters, guests, those that watch by stream, that there is something lurking in us. 
something so loathsome and something so foul and something so destructive that if we give that thing any room, it will devour us. Most of us are living our lives without any realization that there is something inside of us trying to destroy us. We think that we can appease it every now and then by giving in to the demand of the flesh. It is amazing that inside of us, that the Bible says that, 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 that now that we're born again, that we're born in the spirit, yet there's still something inside of us called our nature, our flesh, that is destroying us from the inside out. From the very beginning, there is what I call the original sin. It is original because this is the blueprint that the enemy uses to destroy mankind. Some of y'all know the story. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that everything was going fine in the Garden of Eden. And the serpent approaches Eve by simply saying this. Did God really say that you can't eat from the trees of the garden? It was Eve that replied, no, we can eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden. We just can't eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that we eat thereof, we shall surely die. And the enemy said, you won't die. You see, the day that you eat thereof, you'll become as gods. Knowing good and evil. Do you know that this lie has been going on forever? It's manifesting in our culture and in our church called humanism. That means God, God is no longer the center. Now you're the center. Most of us go about our day and every deliberation is for us. You're making decisions. You're doing things for you. We live by an unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. It is humanism where every decision, everything has to do with you, where you're from, your degree, your, your career path, your family, your this, your that. Everything revolves around you. It is humanism. And this was the trap that the enemy set for Eve in the Garden of Eden. And this is what the Bible says. And when Eve saw that the tree was good for food. And pleasant to look at with her eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She did eat thereof. And she gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. In other words, the original sin that's been passed by, and we talked about it last week, eight people got into the ark, but guess what came with them? Nature. Demonic nature. Devilish nature. Do, do, do you know that Paul says in the fifth chapter of Romans that whereby by one man did sin enter into the world? And death by sin. And death passed upon all men. For that all had sinned. In other words, by one man, that nature crossed over in the ark. And now that nature became part of you and I. 
Listen, there's some bad stuff in here. There's some nasty, foul stuff in here, man. Listen, I'm not fooled by your pretty clothes and your smiling face, man. I, I, I've been doing this a long time. This month marks exactly 26 years as being the senior pastor of this church. And I'm not moved by how you look on the outside. I want to know how you look on the inside. Because there's some stuff going on in your life. Stuff happening. Things that you're thinking about. Things that are contrary to God. One of the greatest passages in the Bible, I... I give it to you just as a warning. There's an admonition of Paul to the church at Galatia. This I say then, walk in the spirit. And ye shall not gratify the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. Walk in the spirit. Be led in the spirit, and you won't be under the law. For we know the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Listen to the list. Idolatry. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And Paul said, I've told you before and I'll tell you again that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, listen, if you've been crucified in the flesh, why not crucify your affections also? If we say we live in the spirit, why don't we walk in the spirit? And there's some dangerous stuff happening in you. And we think that as we go out, including ourselves, moving about in the world, for we know what the world is. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, this is not of the Father. It is of the world. And the whole world will pass away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Friend, hear me when I tell you that if you feed your flesh a little bit of career and a little bit of family and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, if you give way to him, it's going to manifest the works of the flesh and it will destroy you. Sin is rampant in the world. Sin is all around us. You know why? Because we're simply feeding our flesh. And we think that if we just do what we want to do and do it how we want to do it and get our mind away from God, then the flesh gets strength. Your flesh isn't going to give you energy into the things that you perceive, things that you want. What it's, good, what it's going to do is manifest into works. No wonder there's so much sexual perversion in the church. No wonder why we find so much backbiting and strife and contentions. No wonder why we see people coming to church who are depressed and suffering through addictions. You know why? Because we're feeding the flesh. And it's manifesting in its work. Your flesh is not working for you. It's working against you. Brother and sister, the Bible says this. Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, listen. 
Those that mind the things of the flesh, <laughs> if you're after the flesh, you mind the things of flesh. If you're after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Listen to what he says. For a carnal mind is death, but a spiritual mind is life and peace. Your flesh is working against you. It is dangerous, brother and sister. I'm trying to tell you there is a thing working inside of you, contrary to you. It is enmity towards God. Your flesh hates the Lord. It hates the law. It hates the purposes of God in you. And I'm here to tell you, brother and sister, you cannot feed it. You can't give it no mind. You can't give it no attention. In fact, I'll tell you as Jesus said. Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, he must deny himself. And pick up his cross because we're going to crucify that flesh along the way. I think there's just too much flesh. There's just too much flesh in us to have a disposition for the heart of God. You see, baby, you've got to set your face and splint towards God. You've got to have a steadfast Focus on God. You, you've got to want him. It won't just be something that you just think, well, if God shows up, I guess that'll be okay. Baby, you've got to run after him. You've got to pursue him. You've got to want God. Am I talking to somebody? You've got to want him more than you've ever wanted him in your life. You've got to go get him, baby. You've got to be a God chaser. You've got to want the Lord. If you want to see some stuff happen in your life like you've never seen it happen, baby, you've got to run out and get you some God. Will you give your neighbor a high five and say, get you some God this morning? Get you some God. Get you some God, baby. Get you some God. What you need is God. You don't need another job. You need God. Wife, you don't need another man, baby. You need God. Husband, you don't need another woman, baby. What you need is God. You don't need another degree. You don't need another title. You don't need another car. You don't need a motorcycle, baby. You don't need a boat. You don't need a new house. What you need is God. Well, somebody shout it out. I need the Lord. 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 And when I got the Lord, I need some more of the Lord. Give your neighbor a fist bump and say, you need more God than you've ever needed God. And whatever you think you got ain't enough. You need God, you need God, you need God, you need God, you need God. Oh, I'm talking. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. I'm saying it because you need to hear it. I didn't come here to be your friend. I came here to tell you what God told me to tell you as your pastor. I want you to know this is what's going on. There's danger lurking in here. It's a dangerous place. Listen, brother, sister, don't put your God down just because you came to church. Keep your God up. The, the Tower of Babel is no strange place to God. We're at the Tower of Babel, 100 years removed from the flood. And men are up to the same things. They're trying to get away from God. I want you to know, friend, it's not your nature to be close to God. Your nature is to be far away from God. Your nature right now is causing you to drift from the Lord. 
And it's so easy. You know why your nature is easy? Because everything your nature's doing is appealing to self. And when you're the center of your own universe, when my mother-in-law was alive, she used to tell me, I don't envy what you do because when you're preaching, there's all these worlds that you're preaching to. Everybody is a world unto themselves. Listen, what does Paul say? And know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, what makes it so perilous? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They're covetous. They're boasters. They're proud. They're blasphemers. Disobedient to their parents. They're unthankful. They're unholy. This is not the outside. This is inside here. He's not giving me a view of how the world looks. He's showing you what the church is going to look like in the last days. He says, I'll be without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of them that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Listen, he's given us a description of a, 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 a way to see the church. And friend, I'm going to tell you something. 26 years, I've been pastoring 26 years. And if you were to point to me and ask me, Pastor, in 26 years, that's a long time to be pastoring one church. If you were to ask me, what is the thing that is keeping people out of your church? What is the one sin that you've seen, Pastor, that is the most detrimental to the house of the Lord? You know what I'm going to say? Self-dependency. I'm sick of self-dependent people. Because when you become self-dependent, you lose God. When you think you can manage it on your own, you lose God. When you think you have all the answers and your degree is going to make your way and your resume has all of these wonderful qualifications, when you start becoming self-dependent, you lose God. And there's so many people today just living their lives on their own, dependent on themselves. You know these empty seats you see? These are people who think that they can do it on their own. They don't need to come worship God. They don't need to give them time. They don't need to meditate upon them. Well, they can do it for themselves. These are what we call faithless people. You know, when you, we start living our lives outside of faith, the Bible says that which is not of faith is of sin. And if there's anything you're endeavoring to do under the sun, if there's anything your hands got moving, if there's anything you're walking upon, if you're walking absent of faith, you're walking in your own ability. And God hates that. It's an abomination to high heaven. Listen, brother and sister, God wants you to be completely and utterly dependent upon him that every waking moment, everything, everything going on in your life is derived from him. We're living in a culture today. As it was in the days of the flood, so shall it be. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You see, people are just carrying on. It's business as usual. Notice that when we get to Genesis 11, 100 years removed, 100 years removed from the flood, men are back to their own business, making a name for themselves, trying to find safety and security in their own abilities. They don't need no covering. They don't need no help to be safe. You know how ignorant they are? They thought that they could build a tower that would reach the heavens. 
That's ignorant. There's ignorant, then there's ignorant. That's ignorant. They, they perceive that just right above those pillowy, white-looking things is the Lord. They also perceive that the earth was flat. So they said, if we build a tower, everybody will see it and come to it. And we'll make a name for ourselves. This will be a city where everybody can come to and look at our intellect, look at our ability, look what we've done. We've created safety and security for everyone. There's economics here. There's a place to get a job. There's a place to find rest. Come to the city. So the Bible says that Jesus, cameo appearance, he had to come down. You ain't getting it. He had to come down to see the little things that man was doing. But he noticed something. That when evil people get together, when fleshly people get together, they start talking and boasting. You know how it is today. You get a little group, and, and, and all you need is one person, and they start talking. Then everybody starts talking. <laughs> you know how it is. You just need two or three people in a group to start making a chant, saying something, then everybody follows suit. And here it is that Jesus is observing that when these, this devilish, demonic nature begins to speak, it has a crowd. Isn't it amazing that today in the church when people start gossiping, it gets a crowd. Oh, I just said something. Church your neighbor say, he's talking about you, all that gossiping you've been doing. Yeah, 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 he's talking about you, baby. You know, you just get, you know, when people start talking about bad news, you get a crowd for that. You sell newspapers, you get clicks online. You, you start watching TV because you just want to hear bad news. This is that demonic nature in you. Wanting to be fed. It dwells in that public arena where there's quarreling, where there's strife, where there's contention, where there's heresies, where there's backbiting. Your flesh likes that. James, how many know James, the half-brother of Jesus? How many know that his father was a great man? His name was Joseph. Uh, Joseph was, was handpicked by God, handpicked by God to be the father of Jesus. Uh, you, you, you know why God picked James to be the father of Jesus? Because he didn't talk a lot. Look at your neighbor and say, you talk too much. Touch them back saying, you never shut up. Run DMC, doc. I grew up in the 80s. <laughs> you see, you talk too much. And you never shut up. The, the, the Bible says, James, although Joseph is not mentioned, nothing that Joseph ever said is written in the Bible. But James says something about his father. He says this, in many things we offend all. But if any man offend not in word, he's a perfect man. You see, he's able to bridle the whole body. He says, your tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. You see that tongue that's among our members? 
It defiles all of us. It defiles all of the body. Do, do, do you know what's hurting us this morning? It's what you've been saying. It's how you've been talking. You know why Harvest Point isn't what it needs to be? Because you've been talking mess. Your tongue doesn't line up with what the Spirit of God is saying. He said, instead of fire, the course of nature. Did you know that your, your tongue is set on fire of hell itself? Listen, Jesus comes down. And he says, listen, if these people talking, they're going to set the world ablaze. And so Jesus does something, the word of God says, I'm going to do something profound here. I'm going to confound their language. And the Bible says that they're instantly, they're, they're with all the multitudes of people conspiring against God, all of a sudden somebody starts speaking Spanish. Hola amigos. Another person, well, what, what is he saying? Somebody pulled up and started freaking French. We oui, we, oui. who I don't know no French. Then another brother started speaking Russian, and then there were all these people, all the dialect. Do you know that today there are six thousand five hundred languages spoken on earth? And thank God for it. You know why? Because it's separating the evil. Do you know that in the last days, a one-world government's coming with one religion, everything under the auspice of one, but it's demonic, and it's full of the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist, and the dragon's going to be there, and every ungodly thing's going to manifest because everybody thinks they're one. 6,500 languages to keep us all separated so that we don't kill one another, and burn up one another. Thank God for it. Will you give your neighbor a high five and say, thank God for 6,500 languages. Thank God that there's other continents. We would have killed each other already. You have your Bibles, go to Acts 2. I've been telling this church that the main event is a story of the God of the Old Testament who's moving in the Old Testament to transcend the New Testament. You think I'm in the Old Testament, but baby, I'm already past you in the New Testament. You see, Jesus confounds the languages, and now they can't conspire and work together. And so men had to begin to populate the earth, and everybody moved about. People had to go to their respective places, to their own nations, to their own peoples, to their own families, speaking their languages. And thank God for it. It saved us. How many can see the grace in that, the mercy in that? That when we were being disobedient, Jesus just confounded the language. It became the Tower of Babel. And thank God for it. The next time you think of the Tower of Babel, think of the mercy of Christ. Who said, listen, I'm the expert in words, and I'm just going to confuse their language. But I'll give it back to them. Are you in Acts chapter 2? Let me read something to you. Acts chapter 2 is... A marvelous story. 
It's marvelous because there was never a unifying voice. You were speaking your language and I was speaking mine. And there was separation all over the earth, but Jesus says, I'm going to bring it back together. I've got a plan. Do, do, do you know that Jesus said, listen, I don't want you to go witness for me until you get some power. Before you go out and start talking about me, I need to get your language right. You, you see, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. And it's intuitive for us to understand that we have words that can unite the world together in these last days. We have the language, we just may not be using it. We have words that will bring people back together. Paul says you have the ministry, the words of reconciliation. That you're able to bring the world through the goodness and ability of God back to the house of God if you have the right words and if you're walking in the right power. The question is, are we speaking on behalf of God? Are we speaking... On behalf of God. Stop for a moment and think about everything you said this past week. Do you know that Jesus says that in this kingdom words are big business. So grand are your words that Jesus says for every idle word that a man shall speak. He'll be held in that, in that great court, that day of judgment, according to every word he's spoken. Idle words, faithless words. I'm told that women speak around 80,000 words a day. Somebody say 80,000. Somebody say 80,000. Somebody say 80,000. 80, Men speak on average 25,000 words a day. That means a woman will speak three times as many words as a man will speak. That's why when guys get home and you ask them, baby, how's it going? He says, fine. How was your day? Okay. Are you hungry? Yes. I got one brother in the front laughing. I'm going to tell you who he is, but he's laughing. It's funny because... Women speak more than men. In other words, there's a disparity. It creates a breach of communication, a lack of communication. Could I suggest to you, are we speaking spiritually? Is the conversations of our mind and our heart and our will towards God, are we speaking in a spiritual language? Are we speaking on behalf of God? Do you know that people that pray and fast are going before the Lord to hear what God has to say so that we can walk out of that prayer closet and say, let me tell you what the Lord God has spoken. And that we're delivering to the world not just words, but the words of God full of the power of God because they're full of the Holy Spirit and they're going to be effectual where God sends them because God says, my word will not return back to me void. 
Listen, friend, aren't you tired of the world and all the talking? Aren't you tired of politicians promising you this and that and everybody's going over there and this person's saying that and that person's saying that and they're all speaking out of the carnal nature? Aren't you tired of people at work and your job and everybody's speaking out of their own abilities and out of the carnal mind and everywhere you go, people are talking out of their own ability, not talking out of the voice of God? Aren't you ready for a change in speech? Aren't you ready for something brand new? Wouldn't you like to see something dynamic happen in your family and happen in your home and happen in your job and happen in everything around you? Because you'll start speaking the words of the Lord. The word of God is quick and powerful. And all we need to do is speak it. People say, man, wasn't that weird? Jesus came down to the Tower of Babel and broke up the language. I'm glad he did. You better watch out with bilingual people. They're extra dangerous. Let me let you hear something about this thing called the day of Pentecost. See if it sounds familiar to you now. See if you can see the fulfillment of all that Jesus spoke and the fulfillment of this language that God was giving back to the family of faith. That we could unite the world again. That we could unite men back to God. Listen to this. Verse 1, Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now watch this. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Watch what happens. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. You remember how Jesus confounded their language? Now men are coming back to hear language and now they're confounded. Anybody see the similarity? And the prophetic unction is Joel gave it to us. That Jesus is now giving back a language. Listen to what, watch what happens. Now when this was noised abroad and the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. There was one tongue, but everybody that heard it, heard it in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Tower of Babel replaced by the day of Pentecost. The power of Pentecost replaces the Tower of Babel. I could spend hours here talking to you about the power of the ability of speaking in tongues, but I'm not here to do that. 
I've come to ask you a very simple question, a pointed question, a question for your consideration, a question that maybe you might worship this week in this question. Does my voice, does my language line up with the Spirit of God on the inside of me? Am I speaking out of my carnal mind and my own abilities and my own strengths or am I speaking on behalf of God and do I take that work, the ability to speak for God seriously? So consider what I just said. Are you speaking for God and do you take that action of speaking for God seriously? I'll end like this. It's 11.54 if you take medication. Hear this. I'm going to close with this. Do you know that when Jesus went around, Jesus went around doing good works? How many know that was the ministry of the Lord? He was just going around doing good works, doing good things. And the Bible says that he ran into a young man who was possessed of a devil. And frankly, Jesus just pointed at it and commanded the devil to come out. It so happened that there were religious elite people, people from the Sanhedrin there, that began to think within themselves, the Pharisees in particular, began to think within themselves, this man can cast out devils by the power of Beelzebub. You see, the reason why he has power over demonic work is because he's really a demon himself. We all know this passage. Jesus, no kingdom divided against itself and stand. But Jesus cautioned them. Because he says, do you know that if I, by my very finger, can tell the devil to move, then the kingdom of heaven is right here, right now. And the power behind my speech isn't my own. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So be careful of the sin of blasphemy when we attribute evil to the work of the Holy Ghost. And then Jesus says this. You see, here's the problem. The tree is bad. And because the tree is bad, the fruit is bad. But listen, if we could change the tree, the root, then the fruit would become good. Do you know that the Holy Spirit came into your life to change the root? Friend, you were born again, not after your old flesh, but in a new one. You have a brand new recreation. You are not born of the will of men, nor the blood of men, nor the thought of men, but you are born out of the will of God. Your root now is the Holy Spirit. You were born out of the Holy Ghost. And because you were born out of the Holy Ghost, the words that come out, the fruit that comes out is of the Lord. Do I got a witness out there? Listen, I want you to stand because I got just but a few minutes. I want you to stand because I got but a few minutes. I want you to think about what I just said. Because the root is good, the fruit is good. And I just believe today we just need to make that transition. We need to flip the switch, as they say. Just right here, right now, if you've been born again, I just want you to concentrate on your rebirth. That something is on the inside of you. Friend, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That where you are, there is God? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to 
change the way you talk. I want to challenge you to change the way you talk. Listen, I've had my Tower of Babel experience with the Lord, and I'm here to tell you I don't want to talk out of my flesh. And it's my supposition, my assumption that you don't either. Is there anybody here today say, Preacher, I want to talk on behalf of God. I, I want my mouth to echo the things that God has shown me of His heart, of His mind, of His will. L listen today, have you been confessing fear? You need a new change. You, you need new conversation. You know, David said, listen, thou shalt not fear the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. He's telling you that because with God there is safety. That fear isn't part of our vocabulary. David says, surely, surely he shall deliver thee from the fear of the snowler, from the noise and pestilence. What you've been seeing, what you've been hearing that's causing you to become so unraveled. Listen, could I suggest some of you turn off the news? Instead of watching the news at night, why don't you just pray? Get, get a God vision. And you know, God heals COVID, by the way. Listen, this pestilence that's moving, has it gripped you? Are you speaking on behalf of Dr. Fauci and political figures, or are you speaking on behalf of God? Is your day filled with the rhetoric of the news of the day? Look what happened in Afghanistan. Look what's happening over here in the other parts of the world. Look at, look at the disasters that are hitting the Gulf. Or are you speaking the words of the Lord? Listen, I believe the church needs a radical a radical change in the way we speak. Listen, he says, he'll give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. In other words, there'll be supernatural intervention. He says, they'll bear thee up in, they, in, they, in their arms lest they dash thy foot against a stone. Supernatural intervention. Supernatural protection. This is David in the Old Testament. You say you're a New Testament believer? Do you have this disposition in your heart as David did? Listen, David said, because he has set his heart upon me, because he has set his love upon me, this is you setting your love upon God. What does the Lord say? Therefore will I deliver you. And I will set you on high because you have known my name. And you will call upon me and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I'll deliver you and honor you. I'll satisfy you with a long life. And I'm going to show you my salvation. I'm going to show you that I'll deliver you. I lift my hands to heaven and say, Lord, let me speak for you. Let me speak out of the abundance of my spirit. 
not out of the abundance of my flesh. Will you lift your hands and tell the Lord that I don't want to speak fear.